0: Craft Beer Radio presents Savor, an American craft beer and food experience. Savor Educational
1: Salon Number Two Tasting Menu, a food and beer experience, featuring Greg Engert, beer director of Neighborhood Restaurant Group.
0: All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Everyone's had a chance to uh, get some great. Food and great beers already. So, uh, welcome to this salon. I'm Tom McCormick. I'm with the California Small Brewers Association, which is the trade association representing the small breweries, craft breweries of California. And I'm uh, your room host. I'm here on behalf of the Brewers Association, which is the trade association for the craft brewers nationwide and the sponsor of this great event. The Brewers Association does a number of events. Uh, ...during the course of the year. One that might sound a little bit familiar... ...the Great American Beer Festival. Anyone in the room ever been to the GABF? A couple people. Uh, Also, the World Beer Cup... ...which is the largest uh, um, blind beer uh, competition... ...held every two years here in the United States. Uh, It's the largest uh, competition in the world. And uh, also, this is a great event... uh, ...only in its third year... ...but obviously very, very successful... You are a uh, kind of a lucky few that uh, were able to get tickets. This event, the whole Savor event, not just this salon here, but the whole Savor event sold out within 10 to 15 minutes after tickets went on sale online to the general public. So obviously very, very well received last year and a great event this year. So again, the Brewers Association represents the craft brewers downstairs. And here in this tasting, we have um, beers, from the craft brewers of the United States. What is a craft brewer? I get asked that question all the time. A craft brewery is a brewery that is small and independently owned. And um, when we say small, it's less than 2 million barrels in production a year. That may sound really large. Some people still ask me, is Sierra Nevada still a, a craft brewery? And yes, they are, because although they seemed pretty big, they are very very, very small compared to the big major breweries like Budweiser, Miller, and Coors. So we have uh, just the craft breweries of the United States here tonight, downstairs, and here. And um, thank you for coming out and supporting the small breweries of, of the United States for uh, great detailed information, everything that you want to know about beer pairing, um, about the definition of a craft brewery, a listing of craft breweries in the country. There's over 1,500 of them you can go to craftbeer.com. It's a great resource site for everything you need to know about the craft beers of the United States. Well, I'd like to introduce uh, our guest, and then I'm going to get out of the way. This is Greg uh, Ingert. He's the beer director of Neighborhood Restaurant Group, which has eight restaurants uh, total, mostly in Northern Virginia area. Also, Greg has um, just started up Birch and Barley and Church Key restaurants here uh, locally in the district. If you... um, I, I have I know where I'm going to be uh, later tonight. I'm going to be at Church Key. Um, that's uh, kind of the unofficial meeting place of all the brewers staff after this event. So, a great great place. And uh, Greg Greg has a long history of um, beer and wine, both. So I'm going to turn it over to him, and uh, enjoy yourselves for the next hour.
1: Thank you. So um, thank you, everybody, for coming out this evening. Uh, this is really uh, impressive. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by all of you wanting to listen to me uh, talk here for an hour when you could be out drinking all these wonderful beers. But uh, to make up for that, we're going to actually be pouring four ounces of everything, so you won't, you won't fall too far behind, I hope. <laughs> This is also a nice pacing exercise. I feel bad for the people who are doing the, the, uh, the later um, show from you know, the late night one. That th- You'll be able to do this, uh, learn some things, I hope, and then forget it all in the next couple hours. So, um, Thank you very much. Um, I'm only one of uh, a team. Uh, well, it's a huge team that runs our operation, uh, and they're doing it uh, as we speak for Birch and Barley and Church Key. But my executive chef, Kyle Bailey, And my pastry chef, Tiffany McIsaac, in true chef fashion, sorry, in true chef fashion, are actually uh, back in the makeshift kitchen right now, preparing all of the wonderful food that's going to be coming out. Um, and so hopefully they'll be able to come out later and and talk as we kind of chat, um, later on. Um, so. We're going to be doing four beers, American craft beers, amazing American craft beers with, uh, what we like to call, uh, American craft cooking. Um, and, and really this is, this is the jumping off point for, for pairing, uh, beer and food, uh, because it's so funny in, in, in cooking, uh, which I know very little of, but they tell me a lot of things, uh, and, and brewing, uh, there's, there are so many similarities, um, that it, it it begs the comparison uh, and then, of course, the, the pairing of the two. Um, just to step back in time, uh, wine has always, of course, been the, uh, the, the table drink uh, for, for hot cuisine and uh, everything. If you're going to eat in a fine dining restaurant, you're going to do it with, with wine, This is really just a a matter of circumstance and historical, uh, many historical circumstances and accidents. Um, It just so happened that some of the uh, nations, uh, specifically France, that developed, uh, of course, great wines uh, based on their, literally their their latitudes, uh, their climates, uh, they were able to grow grapes, uh, whereas other climates uh, to, the, to the north of France, uh, uh, of course, could not uh, grow grapes as well. So they had to turn to this lowly beverage, beer. Um, and, and I think it's very interesting when you think about wine is that grapes are, of course, perishable. So automatically they have this kind of uh, hard-to-get aspect to them and then to the wines that they produce grain on the other hand grows in far more regions of the world than grapes ever have or will and also grains can be stored that's why we have to malt grains in order to make beer whereas grapes or even apples or pears for cider and perry are immediately uh, offering us sugars for fermentation but due to that fact they're very perishable so you can't make wine everywhere you can make beer everywhere you can't make wine year round you can make beer year round you can make it 24 hours a day so uh, immediately even back before refrigeration and stainless steel and industrialization there was an opportunity for this you know the scarcity effect to occur so of course the the empowered always want the scarce and the empowered, therefore, were eating the finest foods uh, and drinking the finest beverages. And that was largely based on scarcity rather than flavor. So you had uh, the the upper echelons of French society and then later English society always uh, chasing after... Uh, the finest wines. And this goes all the way back, of course, to the Romans and then before them, the Greeks who also just happened to be located in the wine latitudes. So with this, all of a sudden it was, you know, the, the, the best food was, was of course going to be eaten with the best wines, especially, you know, as the French moved over across the channel to England with their uh, invasion, they brought with them their Food and wine, and it was until I think the late '80s that uh, the English royalty um, still ordered their food off of a 100% French menu at the at the palace. So uh, this is how ingrained it was, and really for no other reason but uh, the haves versus the have-nots. This this is in in some ways why why beer is so incredible uh, in that it's it's lasted this long and that even though commodification and uh, the kind of dumbing down of real authentic craft beer swept the globe, it stuck around waiting for its moment, and I think the moment is certainly now. Um, it kind of, I think it, it started 10 years ago, and we sputtered a little bit um, in the craft brewing scene, and I think now uh, it's, it's taking over. Uh, people are ready to embrace it uh, as the truly noble beverage that it is. Uh, with that, I think we should start um, sending out our first beer, which is um, uh, a rarity. Uh, it's not actually available downstairs, and it's got some age on it. Before I tell you about it, uh, it is called Moten. Uh, it's from the Two Brothers Brewing Company in Illinois. Before I tell you about it, um, I just want to mention a couple of things about beer and food and, and and how it differs so much from wine and food. Okay. Um, the first thing is that I look at brewers as chefs and I think of my chef, Kyle Bailey and my pastry chef, Tiffany McIsaac as, as, as brewers. And in fact, they do dabble with home brewing. but uh, the bottom line is that when you make beer, you are literally cooking, uh, you are boiling, you are seasoning, you are looking for disparate elements that can stand in balance to one another in the exact same way that chefs Um, create dishes. Each of the dishes that are going to come out this evening, you're going to see this balance of richness uh, against acidity, of sweetness against salt. You see this. This is the exact same endeavor that the brewer is always interested in uh, when composing uh, their beers. So we don't have a beer that is simply, uh, you know, barley, malted barley uh, brought down uh, with no other seasoning, just yeast added to it. We always have something. Now, for the longest time, that was, uh, the, the host of, of herbs and spices known as gruit. Uh, old German for wild herbs up until the 16th century. These things like ginger and star anise and bog myrtle, they were the seasonings uh, used both for their preservation aspects, but also for their flavoring aspects. And then hops kind of took over after that. But there's always a counterpoint in all of the beers um, that we drink today. And this directly echoes what happens with food. Uh, The first beer... Uh, that we, that we're, we're tasting is called Moten. Moten in, uh, Flemish means friends. And it is a beer that the, uh, Jim and Jason Abel at Two Brothers Brewing Company, they're the, uh, proprietors there, um, created in Congress with, uh, Earth, uh, with the Eartho Brewery from Laerth, uh, Belgium. Now they actually brew in the Netherlands. Um, uh, and Hildegard van Ostaden came and brewed this beer with them in Illinois. And what's great about this beer is that the style is what's so wonderful about, uh, about the history of beer in general. This is what, what, what we're doing right now is, 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 is exactly what we do at Birch and Barley on a nightly basis. We are, to my knowledge, one of the only um, restaurants and serious restaurants in the country offering uh, five to six course tasting menus nightly that are constantly changing with beer rather than wine. And we offer wine as well, of course, because I, I, I love wine. Uh, it has alcohol in it. But, uh, but we, 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 we really are beer forward there. And so that's what, that's what we're doing here. What's so much fun about it is, is, is telling people about where these beers come from. This is a beer that is brewed in Illinois, uh, you know, a few years ago, but it has its roots in, 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 in hundred year old traditions of Flemish brewing. Um, primarily in West Flanders because this is actually what you would describe as a, a, a Flanders red ale, Flemish red ale. And so this comes from a, a wonderful time, obviously before refrigeration and pasteurization, before stainless steel and industrialization, where brewers would produce beer only in the cooler months. Uh, they had to hold off in the summer due to the temperatures uh, causing so much uh, kind of bacterial infection uh, on the beers when brewing. And they would brew these beers. This is before they knew how to, how to create um, pale malts. That didn't... I mean, it first started happening, I guess, in the 17th century, but really took hold, of course, in the 19th century. So all beers would have been dark. All beers would have been dark. They would not have been very high in alcohol. They didn't have uh, fermentation... Uh, they, they didn't have the, the fermentation know how. They really, frankly, didn't even know what yeast was until the 17th century. So they would, they would just, they, they used empirical evidence to brew beer. And what they would do is they would brew these beers and they would, they would package them in, in wooden casks. They would ship them in wooden casks and then the publican would pour them in wooden casks. So as the beer would pour in these larger wooden vessels, it would be, oxidizing. This would not be in some uh, cold box underneath a bar. It would not be at uh, 38 degrees Fahrenheit. This would be at ambient um, cellar temperatures or room temperature. So as the beer would kind of go down and down and down into the cask, it would start to sour. The critters in the wood and in the air would start to consume the residual sugars, creating um, balsamic-y flavors from acetobacteria, creating yogurt-like Um, tartness from the lactobacillus, maybe a buttery note from pediococcus, these, all these things we know about now, back then they were just trying to figure out what the hell was going on and how do we tame it? And so really for the longest time, some publicans would just have to pour out the beer, at the end, because it would be so sour, it'd be, it would just be unpalatable. Until I can only imagine. History is great because it's a complete imagination at all times. So just reimagining these things. Um, I can imagine one enterprising publican kind of thinking to himself, "Well, if I if I just order some some beer um, right before it's going to run out, it'll get here. It'll be fresh. It'll be a little sweeter, big and fruity from the the yeast." They didn't know that, but the yeast were giving them these fruit esters, these red fruits in the nose, and we'll just pour it in on top of the beer that's now soured, and we'll get a wonderful sweet and sour flavor um, that won't make us have to pour out any beer. All businesses are, uh, you know, have to worry about the bottom line, uh, not just Anheuser Busch Bev. Uh, all craft breweries have to think about this too. And so apparently the craft breweries of the 15th and 16th centuries were also worried about this, as were the publicans. So this is where the style comes from. Uh, it is a, uh, a originally a blended style of new and old red beer. Um, the newer version giving you sweet kind of caramelly flavors, uh, lots of big fruit in the nose. The old version bringing in lots of dryness and lots of wine-like acidity from the uh, the effects both of the wood and the tannins in the wood, but also from the the critters, the microflora that, that would nestle in the wood. Uh, what is so cool about this beer is that it doesn't utilize those techniques to get there. So it is a, dare I say, affordable... Um, uh, kind of a, a, a way to make this beer without having to take three or four years. And so it's kind of a, a new take, a collaborative take on how to create this beer. So it's fermented first not with ale yeast but actually with champagne yeast. They wanted to add this in there to give it a dryness uh, of character even though it starts with a lot, of, a lot of fermentable malt sugars. They didn't want it to finish too sweet so they added champagne yeast and also to encourage a lot of fruit in the nose. And then after that's done fermenting then they add in lactobacillus, um, which is a bacteria. <clears throat> a lot of times I'll tell people that we put bacteria in beer and they get weird, but it's, it, you know, it's cheese is laden with bacteria. And we're going to talk about that later. Um, yogurt is, is bacteria, uh, wine, malolactic fermentation is the addition of lacto, uh, lactic producing, uh, bacteria like lactobacillus to soften, um, the The harsher malic acid that 's produced during wine fermentation bringing a lactic uh, fermentation to give you still acidity, but a softer one okay so that is where this beer comes from now, for the food you 'll notice that each of our courses actually has cheese in it that 's not uh, an accident. Uh, cheese is one of the best talking points to explain why beer is so amazing with food and in many ways can be better than wine with food, I think. Um, But, uh, so here we have a whipped burrata. Uh, Burrata typically is uh, kind of uh, fresh mozzarella wrapped, kind of pocketed around cream and and some mozzarella bits. Um, And my chef, Kyle Bailey, takes this uh, burrata and whips it. Whips it to give it, to encourage the creamier, creamier texture that you have. Um, And so... What you'll find here is that nice bit of... I mean, one of the classic, I think, beer and food pairings is burrata, this kind of fresh, sweeter, creamy cheese with fruit, beer. Um, Now, this doesn't have any fruit in it, but it has a nice bit of like almost like Bing cherry um, that's mellowed. Together, it's just a wonderful kind of like cherry cream uh, flavor. On the other side, we do have grape tomatoes. One of the other things that uh, I should mention is that Kyle... Antiphony are extremely in, uh, infatuated with coming up with with food and dishes that most um, kind of culinarily trained chefs would have shied away from. They are almost liberated by the fact that they are not cooking for wine anymore. So some flavors that would have typically um, scared them away uh, at other jobs, uh, maybe when they were at Allen and Delancey before they came down here, now they can jump full force into So they never shy away from cheese. And I'll talk more about why they might have with wine. Uh, they don't shy away from spice. The balsamic that dots the plate is a spiced balsamic. Um, and they don't shy away from sweetness uh which these are things that spices sweet flavors and um cheese these are things that uh, uh sommeliers typically uh kind of you know can't sleep at night about because wine has trouble with these things but beer does not and the reason uh for this I'll talk about cheese as we go because we have it in each course but one of the reasons uh for this is that you remember beer is very very seldomly completely dry um some three-year-old Lambic from Peyottenland uh, region uh, surrounding Brussels may be completely dry. But other than that, most beer has some residual sweetness. Most wines, especially the great wines of the world, are bone dry. And so the, the, the big difference here is when with beer, you can complement flavors. Okay, so grape tomatoes are actually a sweeter tomato. Um, so we bring some, some beer to this that always has a little residual sweetness. You taste it here. And when two things that are the same come together in food and beverage pairing, they mellow each other out. So sweet on sweet kind of mellows and that's good. They should kind of both kind of mellow each other out. We don't want to intensify either one. So we are never afraid to bring beer to sweeter flavors because beer with its sweetness can mellow with the sweetness. Wine, um, I'm thinking, of course, of the dry reds and dry whites that people love drinking on their own. Without that residual sweetness, get dried out. Sweeter things dry, dry things out. And it makes it just, the tannins come out and it gets drier and drier. Beer hardly ever has that issue because of that residual sweetness. Now, one thing that wine is amazing at, I will say, is dealing with acidity. Because acid and sweetness are contrasts that, blow each other up. So if you bring uh, a dry acidic wine to sweet food, it's going to make that wine sour. Okay. These are the way these contrasts don't work by the same token. If you bring most beer with its sweetness to acid, IE in the tomato, you're going to blow up that sweetness. It works both ways. So of course, in this dish, we have a sweeter grape tomato, which is excellent with that that new beer sweetness of the Moten, but also that touch of wine-like acidity to balance out with the acid in the grape tomato. This is how I, I approach all these things. I think I, I really learned most of my lessons from wine, but then kind of coming back, and it doesn't hurt either that um, this beer has a sort of uh, you know. Uh, a, a nice kind of sweet and sour character uh, that can fit along with that um, balsamic as well. And while I'm on the topic, I should mention, I mentioned a little bit of spice in that balsamic. Uh, and this is something that's been difficult for wine for years for two reasons. Uh, the first being alcohol. Alcohol and spice don't mix. Spicy things make things that are boozier flame up in the mouth. So wine, unfortunately is high in alcohol, even from the start. I mean, you look at wine pairing menus, they're trying, they're going to start it at 11, and percent. That's the start. They might get really big, but they're starting that high. Um, so that can be bad. Tannins also tend to get kind of really, really, uh, really like furniture polishy in the, in the mouth with spice. Beer on the other hand can handle spice. A, sweetness is nice. Okay. To handle a little bit of spice, but also beer can be lower in alcohol. We can start low and go all the way up. Some of the best Perry menus I've done is starting with Berliner Weiss, um, which we can find some examples now that are traditional at like 2.9% alcohol and filled with flavor, filled again with this lactic acidity, this brightness of flavor, but only 2.1. So if you can climb your way up from two, 2% alcohol, by the time you get to the end, you're tasting more, your palate is not as fatigued. So this is another way that, that, that beer is really um, wonderful. Uh, with food, okay, so all right um, i need to I need to drink a little bit here. this is killing me, Sorry. and we will do questions later. i know I just tend to kind of skip around Something I learned from Michael reading Michael Jackson is that it 's okay to not have any um, point to get to. Uh, you can just do that. thank God <laughs> I'm kind of all over the place. Um, yeah. So the next beer that we have coming out, uh, is, uh, amazing. I think it's among the most exciting new, uh, American beers to come out, uh, this past year. And it is also exciting. I think for those of you who are not from this area, because, uh, this beer has only been distributed in New York, Philly, and Washington, D.C., and it is not at um, Savor this year. In fact, the brewery, uh, so to speak, Stillwater Artisanal Ales, is not represented downstairs. It's the only of the three beers we're doing that is not represented. However, the brewery where this beer was actually produced, Dog Brewing Company in Maryland, is downstairs. So I kind of snuck it in under that uh, auspice. But... Uh, the name of the brewery again, this is uh, Stillwater Artisanal Ales. The brewer who is a gypsy brewer, his name is Brian Strumpke, and he is a good friend of mine, and I, I absolutely love the beers that he makes. He was a, uh, literally an, international, an internationally renowned DJ um, that traveled around, realized that uh, that probably wasn't going to last for as long as he would have liked. Um, So in 2004, he came back to Baltimore and just kept after his other passion, which was brewing and homebrewing. And I know a lot of people, you know, they, they homebrew and stuff. And I think a lot of homebrewers make absolutely amazing things. But as with all success, he kind of just, you know, was in the right place at the right time a lot and happened to be very talented. So he started winning homebrewing competitions. He actually won both. He won one of the, uh, Sam Adams long shot competitions and one of their holiday competitions. Um, but as any homebrewer knows, that is, uh, not enough to get yourself a brewery. Um, so he just kept plugging away and drinking good beer and talking about good beer. He met uh, a man named Brian Ewing, who is out of New York city. He brings some of the most cutting edge Belgian imports in under the label of 12% imports, and Chuck Cook, who's, uh, a prominent, uh, beer writer specifically on Belgian beer kind of, uh, any, he, and he's in Baltimore now he linked Brian, the two Brian's together and Brian Ewing tasted Brian Strumke's beers and said, this is amazing. You love Belgian beer. I want to get you over to Belgium to brew at my brewers breweries and then we'll import them. And so Brian was like, that sounds, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to do it. Um, I should mention this all started in October of 2009. So it's like, boom, 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 which is awesome. And, it, and it's cool for me too. That's when we opened uh, Birch and Barley in Church Key. So like at the same time, this is all going down and, and Brian um, was, had plans to go there, but it was going to take some time. In the meantime, Dog Brewing Company said, hey, if you want to get started now, you can come out here and do it. So Brian really after Mikkel, uh of Meekeller is the, 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 only, well, the second gypsy brewer to be around. He doesn't contract brew. He goes to the breweries and he actually brews the beers in hand bottles. This beer at dog brewing company. Uh, he is uh, all around doing it hands-on in very small batches. Uh, there's actually a new gypsy brewer out of Italy called revelation cat, which we just got a bunch of beers in from. They brew it to Prof, which is awesome. Thanks. Um, and, so uh Brian's first beer is called Stateside Saison. Uh Cezanne style uh that uses a, a proprietary blend of yeast. So you get that kind of grassy. It's based the, First of all, saisons uh aren't really a style. They are a method. Uh and there's lots of different examples of lots of different kinds. You have tart saisons, you have spice saisons, you have grassier dry saisons. This is kind of going off of that tradition that most people think of as DuPont Saison's tradition. Interestingly, though, until uh, the 1960s, DuPont actually spiced their Saison. So a lot has changed since then. But this is off of that pale gold Saison tradition with the dryness in the finish from some additional hopping and a nice kind of floral grassy aroma from the yeast. Um, And with a twist stateside he uses american hops which you'd expect he uses centennial mostly in the aroma part so you get a nice bit of dry bitterness here but nothing too overwhelming uh a beautiful kind of floral bouquet from that centennial hop the yeast comes along for that as well but what i really love is he also uses nelson savant hops uh, these are a relatively new new zealand um, cultivar Grown side by side with Sauvignon Blanc grapes in New Zealand, uh, you know, which is always the case. You know, some of the best hops obviously in the U.S. come out of Willamette, uh, and Yakima. So the cool thing though is that the terroir of New Zealand, the climate, the soil, they all contribute, uh, similar flavors to both the Nelson Sauvignon hop and too, some of Blanc grapes. So you get a sort of gooseberry aroma from the hop. You get a sort of herbaceousness in the aroma from the hop. The mixed yeast gives you a tight little bit of acidity right before it gets dry, which is wonderful as well. I think it's just uh, an incredible, incredible beer. We are doing this tonight with uh, Carpaccio, but it's not just any kind of Carpaccio. This is Eye of Round Carpaccio. Most people I think when tasting this would not believe that this is eye of round. Eye of round is, it's a lean meat. It's typically overcooked and really rough. What Kyle does with it is sears it. He he actually takes the full eye of round, sears it um, intensely on really, really, really high heat um, with a spice rub. So you get a little bit of caramelization on the exterior uh, and a really nice kind of peppery flavor, which I love, uh, in the aromatics of this beer. There's a little bit of nice vanilla white pepper coming out through the yeast, I think, um, and keeps it totally rare on the inside and then slices it thin. This isn't carpaccio that's pounded down. This is sliced thin. It's really great. Now, he's got this on here. So like I was saying, chefs always do have something for all over the place. So we have this, we have this beautiful, I um, have round carpaccio um, that's kind of salty. And then we have a nice dry herbal um, bitterness of arugula as well the uh so they got that bitterness component there we have a little bit of acid coming in with a beef beef broth vinaigrette okay so all these flavors are organized by our chef everything is in balance same things going on with the beer that little bit of acidity you have in the beer is excellent to kind of play down the, the the salty flavor of the carpaccio and that's one thing that i've learned from wine is that acid is great with savory foods um, that's why, I mean, it makes sense why the savory foods of France are so wonderful with, with French wine, with its wonderful earthy acidity, it really mellows out both the acid of the wine, but also the saltiness of the food, uh, for a mellowing effect. I get that here with that touch of acidity in the finish of the beer and the carpaccio. But again, one, one of the things that, um, that wine has had trouble with is, uh, greener vegetables, things that have an earthy herbal, almost bitter Flavor. Um, the, the king of all, of course, is asparagus uh, with methylmercaptan is the, is the the compound in asparagus that makes most, most wines taste vegetal and like too herbal. Um, that's okay with beer. As we know, hops have an herbal component to them. So if you get a beer, not with too much hops. Hop, bitterness is tough to deal with. Bitterness can overwhelm uh, a lot of things. But if you have this with its nice just touch of earthy dryness, uh, is wonderful with that with that arugula uh, bitterness as well. We can actually, again, this is complimentary. You know, sweet on sweet, but bitter on bitter. They both kind of mellow out. Um, it's absolutely awesome. And then I said, you're going to see cheese everywhere. We have a little bit of uh, Gruyere croutons. Uh, crouton bread. Let's not forget that uh, beer is liquid bread. So anything bready, you think sandwiches, you think beer. You have this wonderful, literally bread and then the liquid bread you have grain um, on grain which is wonderful and gruyere uh is a little bit richer than the burrata we have obviously the first time is known to have just a touch of uh of nuttiness to it a little bit more richness and, and actually going as it ages a little bit of that kind of earthiness almost getting mushroomy but not quite this is excellent with the beginning malt sweetness of of the beer as well Okay, sorry. I can go on all day. In the stateside, I think 6'8". Six, six, I think. Oh, thank you. Cool. That's the, thank you for that um, compliment. That's the important part. Now, but now it's just running out of my mouth the whole time. <laughs> That's like the music in the background. Okay, now I guess I'll just get started on my cheese um, rant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so talked about um, some I've kind of mentioned here and there some of the problems that wine has with food. Um, so let's just go through them again. I talked about asparagus and, and leafy um, bitterness. That's very tough, kind of makes wine veg- uh, vegetal. Um, sweetness with dry wine is very tough. It makes dry things way, way drier. So you notice you see um, wine pairing menus. The first three courses are, are always um, off dry whites. Uh, Riesling and Gruner Weltliner is exploding all over the world because uh, sommeliers have to come up with something with a touch of uh, either fruity sweetness or some kind of actual sweetness. Uh, to balance out against flavors because chefs like to use all these flavors. They like to use sweetness. They, they like to use spice. Um, I talked earlier about the wine latitudes, of uh, France down to Italy, Greece, uh, Austria, you know, there's some portions of Germany, but that's just uh, a small portion of the world, obviously in other regions as well. Um, but those foods are limited The Asian cuisine, Indian cuisine, American barbecue, these are uh, cuisines that are most more expansive and expressive in many ways. Uh, They incorporate sweetness. They incorporate spice. Uh, They are not trying to just play up the regional um, wines. Uh, They are food made for beer. And so... Uh, these are th- This is this is kind of the revolution. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be talking about this stuff. I don't think uh, anybody would really be thinking about beer and food had not the uh, cuisines of the world become huge uh, in the past 20 years. It's no longer... D.C. alone is no longer the place of steakhouses and French restaurants where the diplomats go. Now people are going to... Well, uh, obviously, birch and barley, uh, from time to time. In fact, actually, th- <laughs> this is a funny story. We were, <laughs> we were so excited to be here. And then last minute, I'm not making this up. The, uh, the Danish, um, crown prince and princess are at a restaurant actually right now having dinner. Uh, they're in town for the 50th anniversary of the Danish embassy, which is a really interesting story, too. And I'll tell you, I can tell you about it afterwards, how it happened with World War II and stuff. But so anyways, before I think they would have come in and gone, you know, Straight to Ruth's Chris or something like that, uh, you know, where they're you know big tannic Cabernet cut into the richness of the, the steak and all that. But now people are coming to new restaurants. They're going to Rasika, uh, which is a wonderful Indian restaurant in town. They're having food that can play up well with beer. Um, so, any, anyways, um, two things on this course. So this is this is the cheese course, Calgro Creamery, uh, which is uh, amazing. American craft cheeseries are exactly like American craft breweries. Uh, they, they, they do their best to, to work local, uh, often organic. It's all handcrafted. And these uh, ladies started in 1997 in Point Reyes, California, north of San Francisco. Uh, they have... I think they're downstairs, too. but they, they, they gave us some Mount Tam, which is their flagship cheese. And Tiffany uh, McIsaac, our pastry chef, she obviously does our wonderful desserts, but also handles our cheese program at um, Church King Birch of Arley So it's Cowgirl Creamery. And this is an ideal beer, I'm sorry, cheese, to, tell you, to show you why wine doesn't work with it. This, um, so, okay, so, uh, asparagus, um, artichokes, uh, are also very difficult, um, with wine across the board. Uh, they, they have a sinarin is a compound in artichokes that opens up the taste buds, makes everything taste sweet. Um, it can do this to beer too, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because like I said, there's always residual sweetness in beer, um, eggs, chocolate, and cheese. They typically get grouped together. They get grouped together because they are sticky high fat uh, heavily protein laden um, foods that literally stick to the roof of your mouth so beer ninety nine point nine percent of the time has residual sweetness but also has carbonation. This is one of, one of if not the most important thing about beer. Um, I'd like to thank the staff in back this beer is at the exact is at the perfect temperature right now. Um, and I think all of the beers have been, I think, uh, they're, they're pulling them early. So they're really bringing it down to temperature for us. so it's not just coldness in beer that we need to, to, to wash away food or anything like that. But it's the, really, it's the carbonation we're looking for. So carbonation, uh, as Garrett Oliver always says, and has told me it's scrubbing bubbles. It literally peels the food off of the palate and insists on being tasted in Congress with the food. Um, There is an old English uh, wine merchant um, saying, uh, and I wish I was making this up. It says, um, buy on an apple and sell on cheese. And this means that if you're a wine merchant looking for fantastic wines to taste to purchase yourself, you are going to buy them while sipping and eating apples in between. This is because the acidity and crispness of the apple is going to literally cleanse the palate, much like beer can do at all times. But if you want to sell bad wine to an unassuming consumer, you're going to sell on cheese. And that's because cheese is sticky. You take a bite of this, it literally sticks to your palate. So if I were to give you a good wine or a bad one, whatever it is, it wouldn't matter. Your taste receptors can't get at it. Now, beer has to deal with the consequences of being so awesome with cheese because once it peels it off the palate, now it better be good with it. You know, so, you know, everybody says, oh, well, you know, well, that's the case. Why do, why do, uh, you know, why do the French drink wine with their cheese? Well, typically you would be drinking a really dry red wine, big, earthy, uh, red, fruit forward red wine, maybe with your, with your final, with your with your main course, I should say, and then as you finish your main course, you still have a little left in that bottle, so you everybody tastes a little bit more. Boom, the cheese course comes out at the end of the meal. So it's just kind of happenstance from time to time. And why do art people have asked me? Well, why do art openings um, and 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 major gatherings give out cheese and wine? A because people have fooled themselves into thinking that this is first of all haute culture. You know, every this is really amazing. Cheese and wine is the way it should be. Um, but also, it's cheap. Uh, if, imagine, if you took good cheese at an art opening and wanted to bring, uh, a bad beer, you'd, you'd be, you'd be screwed because people would know right away. Because it doesn't just fly by. If you take bad sh- or good cheese, I should say, or decent cheese with bad wine that's affordable, you can buy in bulk and hand out to 100 people at an art opening. Also, uh, art- artists typically in um, museums don't have a ton of money to spend on this stuff. So if you're going to bring in some cheaper wine with uh, some cheese, that stickiness of the cheese is going to block the receptors and it flows on by. It makes bad wine taste better than it would. So with this one, uh, Mount Tam is a triple cream, seventy-five percent butter fat up front, ends up with f- uh, or buttermilk up front, ends up with forty percent uh, fat content. So super sticky, starts to get that white mushroom character and earthiness. And now I gotta tell you about uh, the vintage beer we just had. This is the Stone Vertical Epic 06-06-06. So Greg Koku's downstairs was awesome and sent us uh, a couple cases of this. Um, the beer that's coming out now is the is different, and I have to wait to tell you what it is. Sorry, um, I should pretend I'm in your seat. I would kill me. This, uh, anyways. So, 060606. Oh, oh, six, oh, six. This beer was actually um, before Mitch Steele took over the brewing uh, operations. Well, with Steve Wagner, Lee Chase was the brewer, and this is the, ba- the the last beer that he brewed there. And the Vertical Epic series is one that's brewed and then allowed to age over time and see how it tastes in each year. So, 060606 06, 06 was actually, it's funny, I've touched so many people, they've never had this one. They've had 02, 03, 04, 05, and never, was, or, or not, I guess it was popular probably because of the 666 moniker. But um, uh, this was a, a Belgian strong dark ale that they used some roasted malt in. Um, and American hops. So when it was young, it was very, very fruity in the nose. It was very roasted bitterness with some hop bitterness. I loved it, but I love this too. So like I said, so this is a good time to talk about aging beer and vintage. So that beer when young was fruity, roasty, boozy. And Hoppy from American Hops. It's kind of a take on a, a Belgian Abbey ale, but adding American Hops to it. Over the past four years, you see the that fruit blows off. Uh, bitterness is the first to go, just like in wine. Tannins decompose. Uh, and alcohol mellows. And what you get is a controlled oxidation. And oxidation, when controlled, gives you beautiful kind of nutty, toffee-ish, raisiny character. And that's why... Tiffany, very um, smartly as usual, brought out some honeyed walnuts with the cheese. So it wasn't just about the cheese, but the accoutrement as well. Uh, one reason why dark beers, stronger beers, and hoppy beer in this case is great at aging is that really when you're aging beer, uh, just like with wine, 1% of each is good to age. But those that are good are great. So uh, you're going to take darker beers. Dark beers have an oxidative, uh, antioxidant effect. So, they're going to keep oxygen out. Hops, antibacterial effect. Alcohol, antibacterial. So, something like this, when kept well, will slowly oxidize at the perfect time to give you that beautiful, um, that beautiful kind of toffee-ish, rich, almost sherry or port-like character. And you notice too the carbonation that dissipated, but not to the point where it couldn't peel the cheese off. Okay, I have to, uh, This is, I'm not done yet, no, 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 but I have to rush now. Uh, this last beer you're tasting um, is, is awesome. Tommy Arthur, uh, he mailed me some samples, because I knew I wanted to use one of his beers, right? And we tasted them all, and I think I got confused with some other samples I had, and so I was like, dude, we have to have Judgment Day, send it out. And he's like, actually, that wasn't one of the samples I sent, because we're just bottling it next week, so it's going to be too young. And I was like, oh, no. Because we'd already planned to do it with our strawberry almond shortcake, uh, dessert. And, uh, and so then he said, uh, screw it, man. I'll just send you a sixth. So he just, he fed X me a sixth of judgment day. So that's what this is right here. Um, and you'll see, I mean, it's a stronger beer than the stone vertical epic, but it's, uh, younger. So it's, it's got way more fruit in the nose. It's great to do these side by side because you can see what can happen to a beer like this over time and how delicious it is. Um, but the, 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 the judgment day is way more, um, kind of, there's a touch of fruit in the nose, but I think you, I get it more in the flavor in the taste, uh, the taste portion of flavor. It's kind of like, uh, uh, biting into like a strawberry covered in, in chocolate or, or like raisinets too. I get raisinets in there as well. Um, it's really, uh, it's really cool. Uh, like that. So, um, you're going to see here with our dessert. This is probably the best cake of all time. Um, It's an almond shortcake. So almond paste uh, and cream. It's basically uh, like, you know, uh, marzipan. Uh, Then you have strawberry as well. And a a nice bit of mascarpone, of course. Again, cheese. Mascarpone is sweet uh, and fresh. Picking up on the sweetness. Another reason why beer is great with cheese is cheese typically has fatty content and sweetness along with maybe a dryness like cheddar sharp, but it starts sweet. So beer with its balance, having some sweetness can always go along with it. I find that like cheeses tend to dry wine out again because wine doesn't have a lot of sweetness to go with it. That's why people bring out the port um, with, with the cheese and things like that. Uh, you get, you see, because this one has more fruit in the nose and in the, and in the taste, that's why we do it with the dessert. Because it can pick up on that strawberry a little bit more. Uh, and still, it has a nice malty richness underneath for that, for that almond uh, marzipan uh, richness. And again, carbonation to dig into the richness of the almond cake as well. It's a, it's a really good uh, pairing, I think. Okay, I think we have, like, time for um, a couple questions, say if anybody has them. Can you just run down the alcohol
0: content of these beers Out of curiosity. Sure.
1: Um I know uh, the Moten, I think, is about five five, five and a half. The stateside 6.8. Stone vertical is 8.66. And judgment day is 10.5. Perfect circle. Allison? Is Stillwater sold around here? Stillwater is sold in D.C. um, Stateside stays on in limited amounts. Uh, When it comes out, it comes out very small amounts here and there, and then it gets gobbled up. However, he's starting to ramp up production. His next beer is called Cellar Door. And it's just... Um, I just got some of it. Uh, very small production there. Uh, and then also he just made a beer in Belgium called Love and Regret, which is coming. Brian is a, a, like a botanical specialist, so he loves using all sorts of crazy herbs and spices in his beer. Again, back to the gruit tradition when people used to, to use herbs and spices. So he's been known to use shisandra berries from China, um, Calendula flowers, which is the poor man's saffron from the Middle East.
0: Is it, is it sold under the label of Stillwater, or you said it was brewed no, by dogs? It's just do like
1: it. no, no. It's it looks. It says stateside saison, Stillwater artisanal ales. Whole Foods, Whole, Foods, Whole Foods has it, and we're actually doing a dinner with Brian um, uh, June 28th at Birch and Marley. So, I'm sorry, I should have mention that. So, Tommy Arthur sent Judgment Day. It's his kind of quadruple. It's brewed with some raisin um, and dextrose, um, largely for consumable sugars, to get the alcohol up without leaving too much residually. And it's from Port Brewing slash Lost Abbey. This was the, the two, in 2006. This began as an offshoot from the Pizza Port chain um, surrounding San Diego, California. The Lost Abbey's downstairs as well, but they don't have Judgment Day, I don't think. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Church Key is located in Logan Circle. Um, uh, it's uh, at the cross streets of 14th and Rhode Island uh, in the north, in northwest, Logan Circle. And Church Key sits uh, atop Birch and Barley. Same beers in both, all around, same wine, same spirits. Um, and Kyle and Tiffany uh, execute our fine dining menu downstairs as well as our hip uh, bar menu upstairs. Um, maybe.
0: <laughs> what what was the question? So, will you let us cut the line?
1: I should mention that this, is, uh, you know, we it's been it's been very successful. It's been awesome. Uh, I'm really really grateful to everybody who's come, but it's not too crazy all the time anymore. It really isn't. <laughs> Saturday days, Sunday days,
0: Monday nights, Tuesday nights. That's your insider tip. We still have a couple more minutes if uh, there's any other questions. Where do you go to dinner when you don't go to your
1: restaurant? I, um, <laughs> I, I you know, I lead a very, very boring life. Um, I work too, too much. And when I'm not there, my girlfriend, Kelsey, who's actually in the front row here, she makes me dinner all the time. She's a great cook, too. She only makes beer-friendly food, of course, right? (laughs) That's not true. One other thing, I should say, no, and it's good. She's Italian. She makes great Italian food. Uh, To be honest with you, it's impossible to pair beer with acid. So I was saying, you know, I like to say, oh, if you have like a sweet Vietnamese dish, uh, you bring red wine with its acidity to it, and it's bad because sweet makes sour sour. But if you have acidity like tomato sauce, that's the killer for, for beer. When I was talking to Tommy Arthur about sending me beer, he's like, just don't put me with that goddamn tomato dish or whatever he said (laughs) yeah but that's why we don't have a lot of options but what options we do have sometimes work i mean you're gonna hit you gotta just gotta we're gonna have some sweetness that might be blown out by the acid but we can bring in some acid as well from those those flanders reds those oud brunes um to balance it out
0: any other quick questions got a dish that has a lot of sauce, a sauce that has a whole other bunch of uh, flavor components into it. How do you find how to marry that beer when it's got you, you know, you've got a beef dish, but then you've got this awesome sauce with it or something? What are you looking for to combine that beer with the sauce? You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, no, I do. Uh, first thing is intensity. You always need to make sure that the, the texture of the beer matches up with the intensity. But then it's oftentimes you got to remember, flavor is aroma... 90, 90% of flavor is aroma. The other 10% is taste. Taste is like salty, sour, sweet, bitter, umami. And then all of the complexity of flavors, the fruity, the spicy, the nutty, a lot of these things, they're in, they're in the nose. So I'm looking at the protein and looking for something that's not going to overwhelm the kind of taste of the dish. Then I'm looking at the aromatics and seeing how they match up with the stronger aspects of the dish, which are primarily the sauces and the accoutrements. So it's like a good two-step process. You know, fish is great with pilsners, uh, sometimes, but if, you know, we have a Mediterranean preparation with olive and fennel, you're not going to bring a pilsner going to get overwhelmed for that. I bring in like a nice, like, um, Belgian blonde or something that's still light on the palate to balance with the delicacy of the fish, but gives you more aromatic fruit and spice to link up with the intensity of the fennel spice, um, or the tang of the olive. I think I just got the hook. (laughs) did you have a
0: question? Uh, How many different, you got a couple different coolers, a couple different temperatures at Church Key. Can you explain, talk about that a little? Yeah,
1: I will. Um, This is my uh, favorite um, part of the beer innovations we've done. We have three separate walk-in coolers for all the drafts at Church Key. So each beer comes out at a different temperature, both on draft and in bottles. That means that your Pilsners and your Kolsch's and your light refreshing beers They're coming out at like 42 degrees, light and refreshing. Imperial stouts, um, really rich Belgian strong dark hills, these are coming out at 54 degrees. And then a lot of the stuff that's got a little bit, it's not too heavy but not too light in the middle comes out at 48 degrees. We do the same with our bottles. Uh, And this all has to do with the more molecularly heavy something is, the harder it is for the aromatic um, compounds to literally escape the glass. So if you heat that liquid up, you're going to cause evaporation to happen more quickly. You're going to encourage the, the bubbles of CO2 to jump out of the glass and bring along those aromatic compounds with them. And also, you don't have to worry about it being ice cold or colder when it's an imperial stout. This is a sipping beer and one to be aromatically investigated. Whereas if you have a Kolsch or a, a Pilsner, it's light. So the aromatics can jump out anyways because it's lighter. And you want to drink these beers and enjoy the more textural satisfaction.
0: All right. One quick question, then we have to wrap it up. Go ahead. If you have one beer on an island. You were stuck there. <laughs> <laughs> that's too hard. <laughs> you you don't have to answer it. I guess not. I will.
1: I guess. Um, no, that's a style Saisons now, Saisons now, yeah. I like the beer. Let me, just, on a, let me d- tell d- you real Island. quick why. It's because I love IPAs and their bitterness and their huge hoppy aromas, but I love the yeast driven aromas of Belgian beers. And so, Saisons, and I should say paler, hoppier Saisons, um, they combine the best of both worlds and they're all too drinkable. All
0: right. What an awesome, awesome production. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Hey, I just want to remind everyone to uh, be sure to grab your glass uh, and take it down because you'll need it downstairs to uh, get refills. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the rest of the evening, everyone. Thank you for listening to Craft Beer
1: Radio's 2010 coverage of Savor, an American craft beer and food experience. To learn more about Savor, please go to savercraftbeer.com. To listen to more salons, interviews, and other content from Craft Beer Radio, please go to craftbeerradio.com. You can contact us on Twitter at at craftbeerradio or via email at beer at craftbeerradio.com.